today on Media Download. From Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Tom Franklin, multimedia and journalism professor at Montclair State University. Today our guest is Tara Sullivan, an award-winning sports columnist for the record. Tara has been covering sports in New York for over 20 years. She's a lifelong New Jersey native, a Rutgers grad, and has covered every sporting event from the Super Bowl to high school sports. Hey Tara, welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. So Tara and I are former colleagues from my time at The Record. We've worked many events together, and Tara was always one of my favorite people to hang with, talk sports, talk Springsteen, and talk everything else Jersey. Uh, Tara is joining legendary columnist Claire Smith and our very own Kelly Whiteside in a panel discussion about women in sports this Thursday at the Yogi Berra Museum. Tara, tell us a little bit about that panel. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's such a great uh, chance to interact with students, you know, who, of course, the, the future of the profession, and it is changing so much the profession is that I love to hear from kind of that next generation. So we'll be available to discuss maybe things we've been through. You know, Claire Smith is amazing. She's heading to the Hall of Fame um, this year as her baseball writing career earned her that spot. So um, it's a very student-driven agenda, and I love being part of uh, helping out the next generation. You know, Tara, successful women in media is certainly nothing new to me. I mean, I've worked alongside female reporters like yourself my entire career. I mean, to be honest, I've never looked at you as a female reporter. I just looked at you as a damn good reporter who writes really well. Um, is this something you actually think about when you're out working a story? Uh, I like to say no, and, I'm, and I, it actually, I appreciate that right back at you in, in, in all our years working together. Um, no, I've always been just a you know, a sports writer first, a sports reporter first. That is, that's the bottom line. That's the job description. Do I come at it from a different point of view? Of course I do, because I'm a woman. Did I grow up the same way as many of my male colleagues, you know, reading the newspaper back to front and watching sports constantly and turning my radio on for baseball games? And, you know, that sort of thing, yeah, is the same. So I think it, it's obviously different, but more in, in the point of view and, and maybe things that I'm interested in sports that might be different. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, a female thing. I, I'm very aware of it, but it's not my defining characteristic, I don't think. Well, what about your readers? I mean, um, you know, with social media, we get feedback from readers and our, our fans all the time. In reading those comments or the feedback that you get, do you think that they view you as a female reporter? Um, I think a lot of that depends on the age it's funny, I, you know, I'm writing for the record. I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey, moved there when I was five years old. I know my readers. I certainly feel as if I'm one of them. My dad happens to still live in the same house he grew up in. My dad's turning 80 in a couple of weeks, and it's just been interesting to me. Many of his his contemporaries, you know, will now when I first ascended to the position of columnist, they were very skeptical. You know, oh, my God, how is this woman going to tell me about sports or what does she know? And, you know, they love to say kind of how I won them over or whatever. But I find with the younger generation now, as, you know, as a point of fact, I have a 26-year-old son, he wouldn't think twice about it. Like, to him, there is no difference. So um, I think the readers generationally, I just think, are more accustomed to seeing women involved in sports coverage now. 
You know, uh, Tara, early in my career, I worked at the Herald News in the late 80s, and there was a columnist there named Rosemary Ross. I don't know if you knew Rose. Did you? I, I didn't, unfortunately. So she used to cover boxing. That was her thing. But she covered all sports, and she was a columnist, and she was from Germany. She had a little bit of an accent. Yet she just very, very smoothly was able to cover all sports and was very well, well respected. And, and she had a big influence on me. And I used to ask her, you know, Rose, I mean, how, how do you do it? How do you gain that respect? Can you give me an instance where you've had to maybe earn your respect or had maybe treated a little bit differently than a male counterpart? Well, there's no doubt you enter the equation a little bit differently. And it's interesting that you have one of those, you know, for me reading the record, I was so ensconced in Bergen County. Sherry Ross worked at the record back in those days, um, covered hockey. And I just remember thinking, this is somebody who I really respect. I didn't know her. I've gotten to know her over the years. Um, and I, I, she certainly deserved all my respect. I think what I often say to people, and this is a truism in my life, that many times I enter an equation, and as a woman talking sports, the athlete or the audience or the other person in, in the equation will assume I really don't know sports that well until I prove I do. And I have found with my male colleagues, you know, they're more inclined to get that benefit of the doubt. The other person in that equation will assume they do know what they're talking about until they prove they don't. <laughs> and that's just the difference. Now, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard, wow, you really are a sports fan, you know, something like that, because I might reference, you know, <laughs> right. you know, the, the 19... 81 Yankees World Series or something, you know, I'll reference something and, it, and I get that sort of surprise back. Well, of course I am. I'm, I'm a sports writer. Why wouldn't I be? But, you know, that's where you sort of deal with a little bit of the perception on the other side. But I have no problem earning it. I don't mind that because I'm 100% confident in what I know and what I am. So, you know, if that's the way it goes, that's the way it goes. I mean, I, I don't take that so personally or in, intensely. I just understand that it's, it's oftentimes part of the equation. Right. So, you know, over the years, there, there have been some incidents of harassment. You know, uh, Lisa Olson comes to mind. Sure. And then back in 2011, there was an incident at the Masters where you were denied access to the locker room. And mm -hmm. I remember there was an apology afterwards. Take us back there. What happened in that at the Masters in 2011? Yeah, it was a very strange story, but certainly worth telling from my experience. So I, it was the Sunday of the Masters. For people who might remember, it was Rory McIlroy had been out to this huge lead after three days looked like he was going to win his first major, it was going to be the Masters, and he completely imploded and fell apart on the Sunday. In the meantime, the golfers who had passed him out or looked like were going to win um, were not as compelling story-wise to me, so I headed out maybe about the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight holes to walk with McElroy because when you're in the final pairing, you're in that last group, and generally speaking, if you end up winning, you know, you're carrying the crowds and the roars and all that with you, but meanwhile, you know, in, in Rory's case, he was trailing, and it was so empty, and there were no fans left, and it was a really compelling scene, so I was walking along the whole way, and the way the Masters used to be set up, the golfers would come out of the scoring hut and go all the way back toward their locker room, sort of escorted the entire way. And when I call it the locker room, it's really just sort of a staging area, a dressing area in this cabin that's near the 18th green, and players, you know, really it wasn't their usable locker room. They had a different one also, but they might have mail or shoes or things like that, and so that one was open to the media, and the way it would work is the whole, whoever was trailing could kind of just follow down the hallway all the way to the end of the hallway where the locker room was and go in and follow him in. And that's where Rory on that day decided to finally stop and turn and talk to the media. Sometimes they'll do it at the 18th hole. Sometimes they'll do it at the famous oak tree that's outside there. But what happened was when we got inside the building and to the next doorway, there was this contracted security guard contracted by the Augusta people who helped run the Masters, and she denied me access. She said, no, women are not allowed in there. And it was such a, a shock to the system. Like, 
you know, I kept trying to explain to her, showing the credential, like, listen, federal law has already decided <laughs> yeah. this. Like, what year is people this? People are in. I have to be in. But she was sort of under that guise of, you know, Augusta National's background, which I'm sure people are aware had o- has only recently admitted its first female members, you know, and had been subjected to many protests on that regard due to the hosting the Masters, that she just sort of assumed there was no way women could get in. And I never did get in. I did not get access to that locker room. I went back outside. I tried to report some other things. I didn't want to cause a huge scene at the moment. All my colleagues were trying to do their jobs. And a few of them really stepped up. I often mention this, Bill Platchkey, who's a very well-known columnist for the L.A. Times. He saw what happened, and he was going to go inside. I said, go in, do your job. And he said, I'll bring you out whatever he says. And he gave me the notes. And another reporter who was working in Tampa at the time, John Romano, actually transcribed the interview and sent me a transcript. So in that regard, my colleagues really stepped up. And then it's funny because you mentioned social media. I happened to tweet about it when I got back to the media room. That's the other thing people have to realize at Augusta, you have no electronics. You know, it's like going back in time when you're out on the golf course. There's no cameras, there's no phones, there's nothing. There's no electronic scoreboards. So I couldn't even find somebody to help me. Wow. But when I went back to the media room, I tweeted about it, and it just blew up, became a national story, and, and understandably, deservedly so. It was a lesson for me in sort of being on the other side of that um, phenomenon, you know, when something went viral. Right. And ultimately, I did get an apology from from the Masters people, the people who run the event. I never heard a word from the Augusta National people um, who, who own the golf course. It was just from the, the people who are there that arrived for the two weeks of the Masters. Yeah. That, and they did apologize to me for, obviously, what was a mistake on the security guard's part. So I understand. I heard a rumor that you and Kelly Whiteside went to Rutgers together. <laughs> that is that is fact. <laughs> it's funny. I think we managed to get through freshman year without really crossing paths. And then at the start of sophomore year, there were these two positions open at the college paper, the Daily Targum. For those who don't know, it's at where our roots are. Two associate sports editor positions that opened midterm, and Kelly and I happened to be elected to those two positions. We went out for, shall I say, a drink, a beverage that <laughs> evening, and we've been great, great, great friends ever since. Well, so, Rutgers, yes, we'll tr- we go, we go way back. We'll try not to hold the Rutgers thing against you. But it's actually more difficult now for female reporters because of social media. And, you know, we had baseball analyst Jessica Mendoza here last year for a panel discussion. And she said that, you know, she tries to laugh off some of the blatant sexism. And it's almost like a skill. We frequently see female reporters critiqued on their looks and things other than their work on social media. I mean, how do we collectively move past this? I wish I had the answer to that because it's not an issue limited to females in sports media. I mean, the anonymity of the Internet, like I can even remember after my incident at the Masters telling my son at the time, please don't read the comments, you know, because he was right. taking it so personally and I was better at sort of just brushing it off. But it's, it's not easy. Nobody likes to be in that crosshair. The anonymity and the instantaneousness of the social media world, you know, has opened the floodgates to this brand of, immediate judgment, superficial judgment, and it's awful. I I wish I had an answer to how to move past it, except for all of, you know, the good people, those of us who don't engage in that kind of behavior, to just ignore it, to not give those voices any credibility. It's not an easy thing to do, and I understand completely what Kelly's point is, because you just open yourself up in a way nowadays that's 
very different even than when I started. Right. You know, uh, it, it, there's certainly an ugliness to, to the social media aspect. You know, but, but there have been inroads. I mean, recently we've seen several women reach aspects of the sports world that had been off limits. I mean, Becky Hammond is now mm-hmm. a coach in the NBA. Jen Welter is a coach in, in the NFL. Michelle Roberts, a trial lawyer is now involved with, um, with the Players Association. Of course, we had Jessica Mendoza. Yet recently, we had radio talk show host Mike Francesa asked by a caller whether he thought a woman could be a coach or, 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 a, or a manager in pro sports, and he immediately dismissed it as being right. you know, completely impossible. Are we going to see that in the, in the near future? Well, we certainly can. And, you know, the fact, again... I would honestly brush off Francesa as, again, another generational thing. I just think he has not kept up with the times. I mean, to dismiss Becky Hammond as, I can't even remember now what the word he used, you know, uh, like a stunt, is just insulting. I mean, that woman is a great coach, and you could talk to any of the, the players that she's been in charge of. She may break through. Who knows? She could end up coaching in the NBA. I think the people who call sometimes the bigger question was about football in particular because it is – it's a game played only by men, really, for the most part at that level. And so is there a difficulty there in commanding respect? Or that was, I think, Francesca tried to say, you know, you'd never be in charge of the room. But I can just tell you, like, it's really difficult to be a football coach, right? Full stop. It's difficult. Yep. You have to get the players to respect your knowledge and your presence in the room, and you have to be in charge. I can name nine out of ten men who've tried it who've been really bad at it. Sure. So, you know, to me, of course a woman could do it. Well, they, it's all about the opportunity. Will it happen? I'd love to think so. I think it will. It is going to be very difficult. I think some of the inroads we've seen in the NFL assistant coaches, it's great to see some more women getting involved in some initiatives that way. But it just makes me sad that there are people who would dismiss it so out of hand because they probably said the same thing about the first heart surgeon, you know, who, who was a woman, like, that'll never happen. Or It's just so close-minded to me. Of course it could happen. It's going to be difficult but of course it could happen. People can do anything and women can do anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly something that I'd like to see. Well, Tara, we're out of time. I want to thank you very much for your time. And uh, what's the next story you're covering? <laughs> I'm just working right now on uh, Rutgers. Uh, their lacrosse team ascended to number one in the country, which is very, very rare air for any sports team at Rutgers. So working on that and then off to some college basketball this weekend at Madison Square Garden. All right, great. We'll check you out in the record in NorthJersey.com. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Tom Franklin, and thank you for listening.